0: Yeah, I still don't have a quote to go with this movie. It's a pretty good movie, though.
1: Good movie? I mean, are you going to keep this shtick going where you drop a quote like five seconds into our intro?
0: Uh, I don't think so. I I was doing it because I thought it was fun. And also, like, we did a whole month of movies with pretty good quotes to them. So I I just kept up with it. But now I'm like, yeah, I think we might have uh, worn out that shtick.
1: I mean, the score is really good to this movie. So if you want to break Very out good. a guitar or your your synth and just you know play the score of this film doing the intro, you could do that too.
0: I mean, I mean, this is a pretty good score. I don't I don't know if it's my favorite score from Miyazaki. It's up there. Yeah. But um, this movie you've never seen before.
1: Yeah, this is my pick for November. And we're talking about Princess Moanoke.
0: Yes, here at the Film Club Podcast, where a movie couple sits down and talks about movies. And this month, we're talking about brand new movies you've never seen before. I'm Dean. I'm Boo. And we're the Film Club.
1: You guys can't obviously see what we're doing right now, but Dean had really good spirit fingers going on as he was doing his Welcome to the Film Club. Was so <laughs> proud.
0: <laughs> Look, you know, you got you got to be animated, you know. Like the, the, people can tell when you're smiling or not. Yeah. Over the phone, like he, he the, people can tell when are doing spirit fingers. spirit fingers. What's that from? Bring it on. Okay, because I don't think I've seen that movie in in a long, long time. Yeah. And I, but I remember that one shtick in the movie mm-hmm. where it's the dude in all black or whatever, yeah. and he's teaching the cheerleaders like these. Not oh, spirit fingers. These, these are spirit fingers. fingers. I don't even know, I don't think that movie's even good. It has, like, five sequels, and I think they all get cheaper and cheaper as they go along. It
1: just shocks me how you remember that man from Bring It On. Yes. So vividly.
0: Very. Uh, Well, yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, I remember, I I could probably, like, shot for shot that exact scene from memory if I had to.
1: All right, I mean, the inner workings of Dean's brain.
0: Oh, I forget my own birthday all the time.
1: No, you forget your age all the time. And then it's put on to me, well, how old am I? And I have to sit there and think. I'm like, well, I'm at that age where I don't remember my age anymore. Now i got to keep track of yours. Like, <sighs> yeah. But yeah, so we're talking about Princess Mononoke today. <laughs> yeah, and if you know we're going to be animated about an episode, it should be this one.
0: An, an animated movie.
1: Yeah, because we haven't done an animated movie since anime right
0: yeah yeah we did because we usually dedicate a whole month mm-hmm. every year to doing just animated films uh because you were not a anime person before the podcast right
1: just pokemon
0: and i finally introduced you to miyazaki and now he's like your jam
1: he's changed my life yes
0: <laughs> good good to hear Um, but Princess Mononoke, this is the one you wanted to watch. Why did you want to pick it out, out of all, like, the Miyazaki films you've never seen before?
1: It was the score. I would listened to something where someone was doing, like, a medley of Miyazaki's scores, and this was on there, and I was like, wow, you know, the music in all of his films are very strong. They're their own characters themselves. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, the score with this one and seeing a little bit of, like, the landscapes and what the movie's about, it was kind of like, yeah, this is gonna be... Strong messages that they're putting on, if I feel that strongly, just listening to music
0: that's something I've noticed a lot about movies from Miyazaki is he puts a lot of effort in into his musics into like the sound of the film and also like the sound design mm-hmm. uh because I knew a guy who did animation like professional great animation um. And he told me that ninety percent of good animation you see is in the sound design mm-hmm. more than the visuals, because if something sounds real and sounds like it exists in a physical space, then that's good. Yeah. And the Miyazaki's films, I think, across the board have great sound design. And this I think is the best sounding one out of the films we've watched on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I would I think. But this is also the most different than all the other ones we've watched.
1: Yeah, I was really surprised. And not in a bad way. It's Just surprised watching this because, like, this feels like Miyazaki, but at the same time doesn't feel like Miyazaki.
0: Yeah, you get, like, the nice landscapes. You get a lot of, like, the very um, energetic and very soft-looking characters. Mm-hmm. But this one, you also get, like, blood and a little bit of gore and, like...
1: A little bit of uh, profanity, too. I was, a little, yeah. I was like, wow, he said that? I'm like, okay. I'm like, <laughs> like I don't know if I that's thought just... these were
0: kids' movies. I'm like, I
1: don't know if it's just because, you know, we're getting... We're watching the American dubbed version. Mm. So I'm like, maybe that's why, you know, a couple of words were changed. But I was just like, wow. Okay.
0: Yeah, well, I know no. this movie is rated, like, I think it's... Is it
1: PG or PG-13? I, I think, think it's PG. No, I, I think oh it's PG thirteen. Yeah, it is PG thirteen. Wow. Okay. You
0: know neither neither here nor there, but because I think when people think of Miyazaki, they think oh he's the Japanese Disney. Yeah. You know, you know he, he Totoro
1: makes, and Kiki's Delivery Service, where it's you know happy, you know
0: very like, kid friendly, mm, very animals talk. Yeah, funny animals. You're selling it directly to younger children. Yeah. Spirited Away is like. Oh, it's like creepy, err, and it's like weirder, but it's still like a a kid's fantasy film.
1: I mean, I, I still hold that one of the cutest characters in Spirited Away is the 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 little frog and the outfit. I'm like
0: You are you just like little frogs.
1: Little frogs, I mean Totoro. I love Totoro.
0: You want your own Totoro, we know.
1: I mean, I have one, the one you got me. Oh yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. We did that when we went to the Academy Museum yeah. for the Miyazaki exhibit.
1: Yeah. I still have him.
0: Aww. I love that Totoro. Aww, it's adorable. That
1: sounds like okay. I'm like, I think I'm gonna love the wolves in these movies because I have to have an animal that I can just attach to for yes. each Miyazaki movie. Yes.
0: Well, that's something kind of interesting about this movie is the monster designs in it i'll call them monster designs but that's like you know the animals the demons the gods whatever the spoiler, spirits. spoiler
1: there's a gill man in this there movie. is a
0: straight up gill man i this
1: loved movie. it when i saw it i was like yes gill man <laughs> universal monsters live
0: <laughs> yes there's a universal monster in this but it's interesting when you bring that up because the creatures in this are really weird looking and different than the other creatures we see in something like spirit away yeah because in spirit away they're very like kind of abstracted and weird mm-hmm. uh where these are a lot more grounded but they're way scarier like the wolves when they like smile and have that like you yeah. think just feel really mm-hmm. creepy and mm-hmm. i think it's because like the mouths are longer than an actual wolf's would be yeah. and how like it's designed
1: yeah the snouts are really long, so it kind of looks like a crocodile mouth. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I, I could see where that'd be creepy, but I kept thinking, like, the first time I saw the wolf coming down the hill, I was like, there's my dog, Mac. Aww. I was like, R.I.P., buddy. <sighs> but I was just like, yeah, I, I usually have to attach myself to an animal character in these movies, and it was interesting to see the animals versus humans conflict.
0: Yeah, because that's, like, a huge section of the movie. Yeah. Um, I... I'll give everybody, like, the the quick plot synopsis for
1: this. You have this box, too?
0: I I got them all, baby. Wow. So, while protecting his village from a rampaging boar demon, a confident young warrior, Ashitaka, is stricken by a deadly curse. To save his life, he must journey to the Forest of the West. Once there, he's embroiled in a fierce campaign that humans were raging on the forest. The ambitious lady... Eboshi and her loyal clan use their guns against the gods of the forest. And a brave young woman, Princess Mononoke, who was raised by a wolf god, stands against them. Ashitaka sees the good in both sides and tries to stem the flood of blood. But this is met by animosity because both sides believe he is supporting the enemy. And that's the gist of the movie. Yeah. Um. The interesting thing is this is called Princess Mononoke, right? Mm-hmm. She doesn't show up to like, halfway through the movie.
1: That was, like, the other surprising thing to me, you know, apart from this not feeling like the other Miyazaki films. I was like, okay, this is Princess Moonoke. but the movie isn't, you know, about her entirely. Yeah. We follow, um, Ashitaka?
0: Ashitaka, yeah.
1: We follow him, and he's an interesting character, but I was just like, okay, we're, we're gonna get to her in, like, maybe 20 minutes.
0: I 30 minutes I straight up sat there And I was like Okay so First 10 minutes That's really important So she's probably Gonna show up at like The 10 minute mark Right Yeah You know Oh she's She's the important character That's gonna carry us Through the rest of the film No she's not in the first 10 Maybe the next like She's at the end of act 1 We'll wait there End of act 1 Okay I think we We just saw her Okay but she's not Actually interested Okay and then it's like Halfway through the movie Before she has a dialogue With our lead Ashitaka and I found this out. The movie originally was not going to be called um, Princess Mononoke. It was going to be called The Legend of Ashitaka.
1: Okay, that that makes more sense. Yeah,
0: but I think they changed it to Princess Mononoke because I-, I guess how that kanji works in Japanese sounds weird mm. or it doesn't translate well. So they changed it to Princess Mononoke because it's mm. just an easier um, kanji translation. Yeah. But... It's just a very interesting thing about the movie, because the movie is titled Princess Mononoke, but she is not the lead of the film, but I feel she's the central thematic piece of the film. Yeah. Uh, Because the whole movie is talking about humans versus nature, industrialization Mm -hmm. versus the environment and all that stuff, and she stands in the middle.
1: Yeah, because... She is human, even though she's raised by wolves, but she doesn't identify herself as a human. Yeah. And the animals are kind of like, we're cool with you, but at the same time, we're not, because you're really one of them. So she she has that internal conflict of, you know, not being really accepted on either side.
0: Yeah, and then when Ashitaka meets her, he is very much in the realm of, oh, he's cursed, and... Mm-hmm. He is angry about that, and he's trying to find the middle ground between these two warring factions. And he is, I think he's trying to place himself in the realm of Mononoke, but it's just, like, it's it's different for him yeah. kind of thing. Like, he's forced to be in this position where she was kind of, like, born into it. Mm-hmm. Um, But the movie is very interesting. I think it has a lot of thematic thematic elements to it
1: yeah it does
0: because i think i mentioned this before it reminds me a lot of lord of the rings
1: and that was the vibe that i got when i was watching this i was like is this just me or, you know it kind of feels like i'm waiting to see frodo appear on one of the hills and i'm like oh dean must be really loving this right now
0: <laughs> L- low key this movie kind of is working its way up as being a favorite <laughs> but i i bring that up because like lord of the rings and this have like, basically no plot similarities other than being fantasy film. Yeah. Uh, but they talk, they're, I feel like they're in conversation. They're both have themes of industrialization versus nature. Uh, they both have themes, I feel, of war and its effects on society, of the people, like, the trauma of it. Uh, I think there's also a little bit of the idea of fear and hatred as, like, an infectious thing. Yeah. Uh, and
1: we could see that with, you know, when Ashitaka becomes cursed, cursed, and it's like, yeah, you could see how this would be an infection that just spreads, and that's kind of what hate is, you know, once, you know, the rumblings kind of start, it's easy to see it move through these villages when it's just, you know, why can't you just learn to coexist with nature?
0: I mean, a, a great philosopher once said, fear leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering, quoted the great philosopher Yoda. Yoda, yes. Uh, yes, indeed, um, but that's like that. I feel like that's a lot of the thematic things this is dealing with, and those are things that Lord of the Rings dealt with as well. And it feels like this is also Miyazaki's attempt to kind of do what Tolkien did with Lord of the Rings, because um, Tolkien created like the mythology for like Europe and whatever that he felt what wasn't existent. He wanted a deeper kind of lore mythology to it, like Beowulf and all that. Yeah. So he created it, and that's what Lord of the Rings was. And Princess Mononoke feels like Miyazaki is creating a mythology of Japan of an era that he wants to to realize, and it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, you're saying that this reminds you of Lord of the Rings. I don't know how often you play Legend of Zelda.
0: Uh, The last time I played Legend of Zelda was Majora's Mask on the 64.
1: Okay, so in 2017, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild came out, and a lot of people have speculated since then that this movie was the major inspiration for this game. Mm. And so it's interesting to see, you know, maybe Miyazaki was inspired by Tolkien, and now, you know, other films and (laughs) video video games games have taken inspiration from this film.
0: I mean, I feel like that's a lot of, that's a lot of the discourse around Miyazaki, because I think a lot of the things he creates influences a lot of things that come after it.
1: I even, you know, was, when I was watching it and watching The Wolves especially, I was even thinking, were the filmmakers of, like, the Twilight movies inspired by this? Because the werewolves, the sequences where they talk and how they're kind of choreographed into scenes, kind of reminded me of this movie and I was kind of like I wonder if they took inspiration and you know how we could make these creatures talk and it looks kind of normal it doesn't look you know like their mouths need to be moving a lot it it's...
0: doesn't look like flappy mouth
1: Yeah so I was like kind of like huh I'm like how much has this movie inspired other artists
0: Oh I would imagine a lot Miyazaki's one of those um filmmakers that I don't think anyone has any big gripes against No Like the the only gripe I have Really, with this film in particular, and it's not even like a gripe where it's like, oh, it's bad. It's like, oh no, it's just kind of weird. Uh, because how how the characters are designed, right? Because a Mm -hmm. lot of his character design in this movie, the human characters are very like um soft. They don't have a lot of hard lines or hard edges. Mm -hmm. They're very clean. Yeah. And I felt like the story he's trying to tell in this. Oh, we we're gonna get like a rougher looking design. Like the characters were gonna have a little bit more. Harder edge; they're gonna look a little bit dirtier because it feels like this is trying to be more of a darker story, um, especially the time and the setting he's dealing with.
1: Well, I mean, especially when one of the the villages that we see is called what Iron City or Uh,
0: uh yeah, Iron Island or something like that, and also the Iron
1: Town. I think I,
0: it's Iron Town.
1: Because I remember when I watched that, I thought of Pokemon. And I was like Ash from Pallet Town, and I was like, "This is awesome!" <laughs> oh,
0: y'all gotta love Pokemon, but. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, because with this movie, I feel like it's trying to be darker in tone. I mean, what is it? The opening of the movie, we see people, like, getting decapitated, arms getting chopped off. Yeah. Like, there's blood. Well, there's not, like, blood, but there's dead people. Like, people die in this movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, like, little pools of blood, and, I mean, that just shows how blind I went into this, because it's like, I'm not going to watch any trailers, I'm not going to look up any of my information before, so, I mean... Yeah, finding out right now that it's a PG-13 movie, you know, that would have helped when I first saw it. And I'm like, oh, okay, he becomes infected with, you know, the curse. And then it's just, you know, I don't want to hurt you. And he shoots the arrow and, you know, shoots the guy's arms off. And I was just like, what? This is a, a Miyazaki movie? Like, whoa, okay, <laughs> this is uh, pretty metal, okay. Yeah,
0: and I mean, like, our-, our main character objectively, oh, he's a courageous warrior. He is killing people, like, a lot.
1: I mean, people are yards away and, you know, he sends that bow flying and, or that arrow flying and then, you know, guy's head goes flying off. Just like, what? Yeah. This and is like, so cool.
0: Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not one of these sticklers that's like, oh, animation is just for kids. Like, no. I like anime, anime or stuff that's more like adult oriented, like, like Perfect, Perfect Blue. Blue. Perfect Blue. Great movie. Uh, Paprika, I think yeah. we also did. Like, those movies aren't like aimed at, at children at all. No. And I think they're great. It's just a thing where maybe that's uh, something interesting where I'll, I think that's a common issue. A lot of people look at Miyazaki as a kid filmmaker. Like, he mm-hmm. makes movies for children. But I don't think that's how he views it no. at all. Because I saw in a, a little bit of research that he based a lot of the visual stylings and a lot of the storytelling on John Ford films. Mm-hmm. And I think he watched Stagecoach to get ready for this. And... Like, John Ford made a lot of westerns, and he was a very, like, by-the-book, old, old, old-school filmmaker. And I feel like Miyazaki is just a by-the-books, old-school filmmaker, and his movies just get placed into children's categories a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can watch any of his films, and, I mean, there's, you know, really strong messages that are being passed. And, you know, a child might not, you know, put two and two together, but eventually, you know, you watch it as you grow older, and you're like, Wow, this is what this has been telling me the whole time. Like I had no idea. Oh, there's
0: there was a um, there was a video I watched and it was talking about oh kids shows you don't realize were way more adult mm-hmm. than they uh, way more adult than they actually were. Uh, one of them was like Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah. And I remember, oh, I love that show as a kid. And then I like watched a episode. I'm like, oh, this was this was made for like adults. Yeah. <laughs> That uh or like Courage the Cowardly Dog, which is just mm-hmm. it's nightmare fuel. And it's like, oh, I love Courage the Cowardly Dog. Uh, was there any like movies or cartoons or whatever where you went back to him and you're like, Oh, this was not made for kids. Why did why was I allowed to watch
1: this? Uh I mean I watched those um Rugrats, you'd catch, you know, adult jokes are kind of like, Oh wow, you know <laughs> that was left in there, like, okay, pretty cool. Um even in Disney movies. Yeah. There's a, there's adult jokes in there where it's like, oh, that's what that meant. Yeah. That's why the adults were laughing, and none of us were like, okay, whatever.
0: Yeah, that's that's like a thing. I feel like a lot of movies like this, when you're a kid, you see it one way, and then you go back as an adult, and it's like a whole different movie. Yeah, and I feel that's probably a a lot of people's experience would be for something like a, a My Neighbor Totoro, mm-hmm. or something like a. Kiki's Delivery Service where you watch it once and you're like, oh, this is like a really basic, easy to digest like, children's movie. And mm. you go back and you're like, no, like, Kiki's Delivery Service is about, like, growing up and, and like, acceptance and kind of, like, figuring out your way in life. And it's a, they're, like, deeper movies than that.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, what else do, do we want to get on on this movie?
1: Well, I mean, speaking about, you know, how this movie's kind of different from the other Miyazaki films, this was obtained by Harvey Weinstein.
0: Oh, he should oh, uh, he shall not be named?
1: Yes. That asshole. <laughs> obtained it. And, you know, there was a lot of struggles. You know, he wanted to cut down the movie because he thought that American audiences wouldn't be able to sit through a two-hour animated film. And it's just like, no, you, you got to give us more credit.
0: Well, that's something crazy. That's was um, the thing with, like, Walt Disney when he made Snow White and the yep. Seven Wars. Everyone was like, no one will sit through a feature length animated film. And that was a crazy thing for decades and decades and decades where all most animated films in America were only like 88 minutes, Mm -hmm. 90 ish minutes there. I don't think there was any two hour animated films until like the eighties or nineties, I think.
1: Yeah. It was always this really tight, you know, movie. So it's like, okay, I can't get too bored, but I could sit here for a while and watch this film. So, you know, when basically Voldemort got the rights to this movie, he wanted to cut it down significantly. And Miyazaki was like, you know, absolutely not. No, no, no. And then even one of the uh, Studio Ghibli producers, Toshio Suzuki, sent Voldemort a katana sword with, you know, engraved on it, no cuts.
0: And it's just like... (laughs) That's a pretty baller move. Could you imagine you walk into your office, you're just like, ah, I'm dealing with these guys, and they just... Like, I want to turn the movie down so we can get more asses in the seats. And you walk in, and there's just this, a katana laid across your desk. And you're like, oh, they're going to kill me. That's how this is going to work. All right, I guess I guess no cuts. That's, that's fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, watch more of Miyazaki's films and kind of understand.
0: He knows what he's doing.
1: Exactly. So it's like, you really want to come in and tell him, no, we should cut this out because, you know, audience here's here. They won't appreciate it or they won't understand. It's like, no, listen to the filmmaker, just like, you know, when they were doing the stuff for this film to, you know, distribute it to the American audiences, he wanted to hire on Tarantino to write the script.
0: Wait, like the dialogue? In... Mm-hmm. Wait, okay, so this is 97, so this would have been around when Tarantino was- This was, was...
1: 95.
0: Oh, oh, when he was writing the script. Oh, okay, so this is like, what, right after Jackie Brown?
1: I think so.
0: Or it's either after Jackie Brown or after Pulp Fiction. But okay, but that's a, that's a whole can of worms right there that we can get into because like I kind of get the idea uh, out of you know Voldemort here mm-hmm. you know, get double his due. There is a lot of empty imagery in the film that feels like it's it's taking a lot of time. It's very it's mm-hmm. very slower paced. And I can kind of see if he's like, well, we're trying to market this to kids. I can kind of see that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you trim the story down or a lot of like the empty imagery out of it, then you're kind of losing a lot of the atmosphere. Because I feel like the film is dealing a lot in an atmosphere and a mythos here. But also Tarantino, I think Tarantino would have done a horrible job writing the script for this.
1: Exactly. And that was Tarantino. I mean, he probably didn't think it'd be horrible, but he knew that it wouldn't work. But he was the one that actually suggested Neil Gaiman take on the writing for this film. And that's who ultimately is the writer.
0: That's a way better fit.
1: It's, You know, Neil Gaiman wrote Coraline. And it's like, yeah, he's able to kind of dip into these worlds where you yeah. feel like, you know, it's not entirely just the real world. You know, there's fantasy fused in.
0: Well, yeah. And also, like, Tarantino up to that point had professionally written, like, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. Jacket Brown. So very, um genre-based crime thrillers or action movies or comedies or whatever he's not dealing in fantasy or even like mythologizing Mm -hmm. anything neil gaiman like he did like american gods sandman he dealing in this realm is a lot more his his speed yeah man like that's that's really interesting i didn't realize neil gaiman wrote wrote the english Mm -hmm. verses for this that's really that's really cool
1: And it just, you know, goes to show that, you know, this movie is very strong on its own. And then you see, you know, oh, okay, the different people that have had their hands tied into this movie. And it's kind of like, yeah, you guys are the reason why it works. But at the end of the day, it still feels like a Miyazaki film.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's the thing about a lot of Miyazaki films is that they do, like the character design I mentioned, Mm -hmm. they all have this kind of uniformity in certain things. He really likes... Like I was saying, oh, the empty imagery. Mm -hmm. Like they're not empty in terms of like content or visual scope. It's like, oh, there's not like characters or something. These are just long shots developing an atmosphere or a mood Mm -hmm. or a tone. Like that's there's a lot of that in in this movie. And that's him taking cues from John Ford, you Mm -hmm. know? How how do we make people feel like the epicness of what's going on? Show Monument Valley in all its glory. That's how you show the epicness of the story placing down. And he does that and then you have an epic
1: score beneath it. So you feel like you're standing out there in the middle of nowhere, and it's okay. You're you're not scared. You're just embracing that moment of, wow, this world is so vast.
0: There's just the universe around you, and you exist in it. And
1: the fact that it's untouched. Because, I mean, that's what people do. We build. And it's just getting to see these pieces of Earth that haven't been touched. It's just the way that, you know, Earth created it. It's like, wow, you don't really get to see that every day. Well,
0: that kind of brings me to something. Because in the movie, it's a story between the humans of like Iron Town versus like the nature and the and the nature spirits, and it's trying. I think the movie wants the audience to be like, oh well, oh the nature spirits, they're you know they're they're good guys, and the humans, oh well, well they also have a point, they're also good guys. You know, and oh, they're trying to like mm-hmm. come to terms and live in like harmony. And I was like, I never got that. I felt objectively the humans were were villains mm-hmm. across the board. And I was like, yeah, no, only the uh, nature spirits are good. Like I think the entire human colony were all like bad guys.
1: Yeah, and I mean i I agree with you there, but then I disagree because I can see where there's both hostility on either side. You know, where it's you know. The animals are frustrated because you're taking over their home. You're killing them. And at the same time, we're humans. We need, you know, food to survive. And, you know, we build stronger because there's other enemies out there, human enemies that are coming after us. And they're destroying our towns and our villages. So it's like I could see the the struggle on either side. I mean, you had some animals that were just ready to kill because... They were, you know, pissed off about situations and it's like... The, the
0: gorillas yeah. that are... The gorillas that are just kind of show up out of nowhere?
1: I mean, that was scary. They're, you just see the red eyes. It was just like, holy crap, what's that now? I thought that was some
0: beautiful <laughs> imagery of them. They're just these silhouetted, like, black figures with red eyes. And they're humanoid looking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, that they're like the primal like, like aggression, evil Mm -hmm. of humanity just displayed on on this. And it's like, and they're, like, ostracized even outside of, like, the nature realm Mm -hmm. because you're like humans, but you're not humans. And they they exist off in a different, like, realm. And it's it's a really fascinating thing. The movie makes the world feel way bigger than what we're seeing.
1: Just like Sam. She's, you know, human, but not human. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, you fight good and you act like an animal, but can't really take you 100% serious.
0: Exactly. Like, you, you walk around, you got, like, the weird earrings, the necklace thing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't get this.
1: I mean, you get to ride around on wolves. That's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I'm sitting here, I'm like, how big are these wolves? I'm like, if I lived in Irontown, I'd be like, yo, them wolves there. Them's good eating, boys. Like, that, that's like a 400-pound wolf right there.
1: Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna eat wolf. <laughs> are you sure? Yeah.
0: You say that now, but... Get get some get some hot sauce on there. You know, slow roast it. You know, we can get it on the no, smoker.
1: No, no, no. I love wolves. I think they're beautiful. I mean, watching them in the gray with uh, Liam Neeson scared the crap out of me. <laughs> the
0: CGI wolves.
1: Yeah, that movie just <laughs> the, that in the gray. The gray, yeah.
0: The really,
1: <laughs> yeah. Aren't they in Frozen too?
0: In in what like the animated frozen movie or are you talking no, about the, frozen the the real frozen where it's the, the one on the real, the real uh... where
1: they're stuck on the ski lift <laughs> yeah they're, Isn't... They're, that's not the
0: um down there that's why they can't like jump down cuz there's wolves around them that's a that's a horror movie that i think is way better than people give it credit for but it is kind of a cheap B movie
1: i've only seen it one time and i was like i can never watch this again This scared the crap out of me
0: yeah mini review for the movie frozen Uh, it, it's like a 2010-ish era horror film about these people who go up on a ski lift kind of late at night, and, um, the ski operator doesn't realize they're on there and turns off the ski lift, and they get trapped, like, 30,
1: 40 feet in the air. Yeah, because I know one of the characters, spoiler, he tries to jump down, and he ends up breaking both of his legs, so they keep thinking, oh, it's snow, it's padded, we could just jump down, and it's like, no, you're way too high to jump down. Yeah. And, yeah. Then the
0: wolves come, and it's this whole, like, thing of, like, survival, because they're trapped up in the ski lift, and it's, like, in the middle of, like, Aspen, so it's gonna be negative 40, and they're up there in, like, basic ski gear. So they're, like, they can't get out, and it's it's a pretty decent horror thriller.
1: And who knows what time the ski lift closed, and, you know, realistically, you're not gonna survive sitting there all night through morning.
0: Oh, I think, I think that was a thing that they said, was it got, um, it was, like, gonna be turned off for the weekend and they were like the last ones on like a friday night
1: yeah so it it wasn't gonna be
0: like monday or something
1: yeah it was one of those things where it's like oh yeah this is like the last run well let's take it let's you know do the last run before they close for the weekend and then it's just it gets shut off by somebody i i don't know it's been a long time since i watched it and i was like yeah i don't think i could do this ever again this just you know
0: Are wolves one of those creatures you're just like, if they show up in a movie, I'm immediately respectful of that bullshit.
1: Yes. (laughs) They're beautiful animals, but I was like, oh my god, they could tear me apart with no no issue, not even trying. I'm like, yeah, we're good.
0: (laughs) I like how in this movie they try and... um... A chew off Ashitaka's head. Like the moment, yeah. the moment Ashitaka like falls down, <laughs> the wolves just pounce and just start like biting on his head, like he's a chew toy.
1: After he's been shot and saves San, and they're like, you know what? Let me just, you know. <laughs> like, and that's what it looked like. I was like, oh my god, how sad, but kind of funny at the same time.
0: Yeah, and it, and it's a thing where I'm like, ah, oh, I know that's not meant to be to be funny. Like that's a thing about the movie where, ah. Uh, like, don't get me wrong, Miyazaki, he's a great visual storyteller, great yeah. filmmaker, but it's it's a thing where, man, I never felt like the humans were in, like, the place, like, a righteous place of their actions, mm-hmm. and there's some things where I'm like, that's just unintentionally kind of funny.
1: <laughs> well, like, when they, um, spoiler, they cut off the mother wolf's head, I can't think of what the mother wolf, uh, her name oh, was. Oh, uh, um, she was
0: voiced by, like, Jillian Anderson. Okay. Also, Keith David's in this movie.
1: Yeah, I thought that would be the, the one thing to really draw you in. I, every time
0: I see Keith David in something, even if it's a bad movie, he's great in it. There's this shitty internet horror film called Chain Letter. Mm-hmm. It has Brad Dorf and Keith David in it, which you, people would be like, oh, those guys make every movie they're in. Excellent. Yeah. And they're excellent in the movie, but they're like... Two scene supporting characters. The whole movie is, like, the the shittiest, like, 2000-era slasher you could possibly imagine. Because it's, like, the premise is uh, you get sent a chain letter. And if you don't send the chain letter on, then somebody kills you. Mm-hmm. And then they send the chain letter on. And that's, like, the whole point of it is uh, the killer, the slasher person is chasing down whoever, like, doesn't send the chain letter on. And, and it's like, okay, that's interesting. But the actual movie is really, really bad.
1: But favorite Keith David performance? Of all time? Of all time.
0: Uh, God damn. Okay, him as Childs on the Thing is is classic. Him and They Live is great. Him as the president on Rick and Morty is always funny. Um God, he's in a lot of things now that you think about it. Well, do you have do you have a favorite?
1: I think they live.
0: That's a very good one. That's a very strong pick.
1: Mostly because him and Nada are just fighting the entire time. He's I've, a great actor. He's a very
0: good actor. He's Juilliard trained. He's a classically like trained actor. He's very good in his work.
1: So are we going to season screaming to meet him?
0: I'd really like to. Because
1: he's going to be there. Yeah, I can get
0: my, my uh, They Live uh, poster sign. It'll be fun. But Princess Mononoke.
1: Yes. So we have... Um, okay, we were talking about funny things. So Moro, I thought it was funny because whoever the leader of Irontown is, I can't think of her name.
0: Oh, uh, the leader of Irontown is, uh, it's not Ashitaka. God damn no. it. There's so, there's so many people in this na- in this movie where I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce your, your name because I'm a dumb American. Uh, but yeah, the
1: lady with the red lipstick. Um, she, you know, she foreshadows early in the movie that, you know, even if you were to cut the head off of one of the wolves, they could still bite you. And Moro's been like, you know, oh, I want to bite that woman's head off.
0: Lady Abashi, I found it. There you it's go, Lady, Lady Abashi. Abashi.
1: And then right at the end, she gets her arm bitten off as Moro's wolf head is just flying through the forest I've... after being beheaded.
0: I thought she was gonna die and that was gonna be the thing that um, changed Irontown into being a more uh, peaceful place. Because she was like building guns and like the mm-hmm. industrialization and warmongering and her her living I feel like she objectively was like like Lex Luthor of this story why does she get a free pass
1: and you know the irony too that you know she wanted to cut cut off um what is his name
0: uh, Ashitaka, Ashitaka.
1: Yeah. she wanted to cut off she's Ashit- not the only
0: one that's hard to remember names I,
1: I, I no that's like my curse i can never remember somebody's name even after you know hi my name is it's completely gone my name is... What?
0: My name is... Who? My name is... Slim Shady? Uh, no, it's Dean, but let's Oh, okay. Keep, let's keep sorry,
1: sorry. But, uh, yeah, so I thought, you know, the irony of Lady whatever losing her arm after she wanted to cut off Ashitaka's, you know, when he's telling her, I've got the curse and it's in this one arm and that was her solution. We'll just cut it off. And ultimately she loses hers and then she's kind of like, I think we need to do things kind of differently now.
0: I, the curse is also a weird thing, right? Because I feel like it's kind of undefined what it's actually doing.
1: And the, it's creepy because it looks like worms.
0: Yeah. But the thing is, is the curse that affects Ashitaka, because it's like making his arm like this weird purpley thing, and it's like, oh, it'll corrupt and, and destroy your soul, and then it'll destroy your body. But I I feel like it just gives him superpowers. Like yeah. that, for, like, the majority of the movie, it gets on superpowers, and we don't even see real ill effects of it until...
1: Or is that just the strength of his character, that it doesn't change his demeanor and his actions? It's just, that's how strong he is, that he could kind of put those evil thoughts at bay, and kind of just use the the strength aspect of it?
0: I, I maybe...
1: Because even when we, you know, meet the rest of the boars, and the blind boar is talking about, um the boar that has been killed and was infected, that, you know, they didn't know that they had evil amongst their group. Mm. So it's like this an animal was an evil animal. And so I think that's why when he became cursed, it was just this thing where he kind of embraced it. And Ashitaka is a good person. And it was just kind of like, okay, I'm stuck with this curse, but I'm not going to let it define me.
0: I like I like how you say that. And we see him kill like 15 dudes on his way on his way to go get the curse lifted
1: but he says i don't want to kill you it's just kind of like I this i don't want to
0: kill you but i'm gonna like style on you bitches because i know i can do it, and it I mean, especially when
1: you're seeing these soldiers go after the people in the village and they're fleeing from them and it's like you know the ones that are kind of you know slowing down or they're dropping things It's like okay let's pounce on you and let's beat the crap out of you until we kill you
0: that felt like a seventh samurai yeah um shout out, because Seven Samurai ha- is, like, that's basically the thing, is bandits are invading this, um, like, poor village, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, is this, is this what the story's gonna be? Is this, like, Seven Samurai, mm-hmm. but, like, fantasy? Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, that's not, that's not actually what's going on. It's just kinda going on. But, um, that that's the thing, the curse seems so undefined to me, because I don't really understand how it actually works.
1: Yeah, it's never explained, and you know, with you saying that the originally they wanted to be, what, the, the legend of Ashitaka? Yeah. It makes sense. Because it's like, okay, you know, we're learning about the character. We're not learning about this curse that's impacted his life. So I'm like, okay. I mean, it'd be interesting to get some lore on the curse, what happens.
0: Well, well I just want to know, because it feels like the curse isn't actually a because in screenplay terms like what the story is doing is oh this curse is a ticking time bomb eventually it's going to explode it's going to like kill somebody or change the story or or if the time bomb goes off then it the movie's over Mm -hmm. but it never feels like the curse is ever put forward in ashitaka's case as being a real threat to him Mm -hmm. it feels like it turns into like a plot convenient way for him to have superpowers like opening up the opening up the um the, the, the barred gate uh him being able to knock um lady abashi out unconscious and mm. being able to like uh just non-react to uh princess mononoke as she wails on him like
1: he he's, yeah. he gets shot he gets stabbed yeah he makes yeah. him more
0: durable mm-hmm. and all these other it, it makes him have superpowers and it feels like it doesn't feel like you know oh that's something that Miyazaki or Gaiman or the writers just didn't put effort into exploring. It felt like it felt like the curse is the MacGuffin. Hmm. The curse is only here to push forward the story to hmm. get us to Irontown, to get us-
1: To the t- forest. To
0: the forest, to Mononoke, to the spirit. And it's just a thing where I wish it was a little bit more than a MacGuffin, because it's so central, mm-hmm. but- ugh. It's one of those things where it's like when you're critiquing like a Van Gogh painting, and you're like, it's still a great painting. Yeah, it's still, it's still pretty. It's just, ah, god damn it, could you could you just like use uh, a little little more yellow on this side? Kind of. I thing? know,
1: but I think it works. I mean, it just shows the the strength of his character, where it's just you know, he's dealing with so many different problems, and then you know he falls in love with Princess Mononoke, and she's just you know, I hate humans, but you know, I have feelings for you, and it's just. You know, she keeps pushing him away, and you think, okay, he's been injured, he's, you know, fighting, and you think, you know, maybe this being rejected would be the thing that gets this part of the curse to change his character, and he's still very, no, you know, I'm gonna be there for you, you know. It might take you a while to realize that I'm good, I'm not gonna hurt you, but I'm still gonna be there for you.
0: I really liked how the relationship developed.
1: Yeah, and- it it's not, you know, your Disney happily ever after ending. And that's what I was waiting to see. I'm like, how are we going to end this? And then we do. And I'm like, okay, I'm happy with that. I'm like, I didn't feel like, no, I need the two of them together forever. I'm like, no, it it works.
0: Yeah, and I think that actually is kind of the most interesting thing about that relationship is, at first, like, he he's sh- he's smitten over Princess yeah. Mononoke. Love at first sight. Princess Mononoke is like, no. Like, you're you're human. You're weird. And then as the story goes on, he just... He proves himself to her. And I think at the end, he's in love with her. And I don't even know if Mononoke loves him. I think she respects him. And I think she she views him as, like, an ally and a friend. But I don't know if she loves him.
1: No, I think she loves him.
0: But, the, you, but you I could... like that ambiguity yeah. looking at it. Where... I really, I really want them to be in love, but when they like part ways and it's a thing where, man, I don't know about how this relationship is at this state, but I'm very happy at where it is, wherever it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was able to pick up that, or at least in my opinion, that she loves him or is in love with him, but it's just that internal conflict of, you know. People have done me wrong, and it's like I feel safer with animals who have been loyal to me Mm -hmm. because I mean, that's one of the things we learn about uh, Princess Moanoke is that her parents abandoned her, and that's why she's been raised by the wolves and you know, kind of hates humans because you know, starting out, they kind of did her wrong, yeah. And it's just you know, yeah, that's kind of hard to overcome, you know, when you've been scarred and damaged in that way. So, it'd be interesting to see. Where their characters would would lie because Ashitaka seems like the kind of person where, yeah, I will come back and I will visit you and I will, you know. Keep my word. I will keep my word and be there for you.
0: That's, it's a really interesting thing, the relationships in this, in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Because even um, Lady Abashi, she has a very interesting relationship with the gonza who's like the head of the guard or whatever Mm -hmm. and she has a very interesting relationship with like the villagers and things and people around her because the the village i think is a very interesting way that society is set up because it's like the cast of misfits Mm -hmm. like the women are openly being like hey at least we're not in a brothel and it's like implied most of the people in the village were like either criminals or poor or whatever and this was kind of like you know the last vestige they could go to yeah and i think it's interesting how those relationships build it's like the humans created their own family mm-hmm. whereas the nature seems very tribal like the wolves hang out with the wolves the boars hang out with the mm-hmm. boars the gorillas in the mist hang out in the gorillas in the mist yeah and mononoke found this family in the wolves, but that seems like such an alien thing to them. And it's just interesting to see how their relationships differ, you know, from like the human side and the the spirit side of the animal side. Yeah,
1: you know, they're keeping it very animal kingdom style where it's, you know, all these classes of animals stay amongst themselves. And it's uh, Moro who is the one that was kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm the the goddess of the wolves and yeah, I found this human, but I kind of like her. So, I kept her on even though my better judgment was to eat her. I mean, I think that was one of my favorite quotes of the movie when she goes, My poor ugly daughter. <laughs> but she is beautiful though. Oh, and I, was just like, I was just like, that's hilarious. Oh yeah, <laughs> that that's another
0: thing where I'm like, I I love the fact that the 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 movie is making a point that the nature and the fantasy or whatever is so alien to mm-hmm. like human understanding. And it's like I like that. And, um and yeah, I really like the fantasy. This is, a, this is a really well-built fantasy story. And speaking of um Mononoke and the Wolves or whatever, it's like, oh, he's doing, like, Romulus and Remus, you know, mm-hmm. of, like the Roman Empire, you know, raised by wolves, like that myth. Yeah. And he's combining it in with, like, the John Ford mythology of, like, the Old West. And he does it here, where it's, like, the mythology of, like, Old Japan and the samurai mm-hmm. and the villages, all that stuff. And he's injecting all these, like, tolkienistic ideas of building a fantasy building mythology using the folklore of your world to create a unifying um mythological ideal of japan and in his um in his works and i'm like this is a really interesting movie and i think it's a really good movie i think this is a very deep movie that, uh, yeah, this might be my favorite Miyazaki movie.
1: Really? <laughs>
0: on, the lo- on the lowest of keys, this might be my favorite Miyazaki movie. Is it
1: only because it resembles Lord of the Rings? A little bit. but also, So like, biased. Oh,
0: very. But also, it's a... Like, I really like Spirited Away, but watching this, I'm feeling like this is way more up my alley than Spirited Away. Like, I liked Spirited Away. I re- I love this. Mm. This is like right up my
1: alley. Wow, that's rare. We don't hear it. <laughs> I love this from Dean.
0: Oh yeah, you know I'm a I'm such a cynical bastard.
1: So so cynical.
0: But um, yeah. Do you have uh, anything else you want to bring on on this movie? No, I
1: mean, you know, all the animals were really cool. The forest spirits, which I ended up loving the
0: the weird like <laughs> thing of I, stars in the I, night. I,
1: I'm just trying to like describe what the forest spirits would be because they kind of reminded me of like babies or cherubs.
0: Oh, the little, like... The, the um, little guys, yeah. yeah. they're like the little elf things with, like, the the heads with, like, the three dots on mm-hmm. them. And they make a ticking noise.
1: Yeah, and it was just kind of like, you know, the first time I had seen them, you know, obviously I've seen them, like, on merchandise and other, you know, advertisements. But when we went to the Academy Museum and there was one room, really dark, and they had, like, painted trees, and they would appear the just kind of, like in the movie, they just kind of randomly appear. And I was like, okay. I'm like, oh, I'll see what they're about when I finally watch the movie. And we see them and I'm like, okay, they're kind of cool. And then you have Ashitaka running up the hill as he's carrying the soldier on his uh, on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then you see some of the uh, forest spirits. They start to carry each other and run up the hill beside him. And I'm like, okay, you guys aren't just only cute. You guys are funny. And you're <laughs> racing them up the hill. I was like, I really love them.
0: Yeah. Okay. They, they also feel like an addition specifically for a younger audience, mm-hmm. which is interesting.
1: And I mean yeah, I mean that that's in a lot of lore where, you know, there's these forest spirits or entities that are there to protect the or the guide. sprites, the, yeah. the
0: pixies, the elves, the, elves, the gnomes, yeah. yeah.
1: So I was kinda like, okay, that's kind of cool, but I also really liked Yakul.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Uh, Ashitaka's Elk Elk? A red elk.
0: Yeah. I thought that was a, that's an interesting thing, because I was watching the movie, I'm like, is that a fantasy creature? Is that some sort of weird fantastical beast? And then I was like, no, that's no, elk. Dean, it's a fucking elk,
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you, you
0: you ignorant fool.
1: I thought it was a reindeer at first, but I was like, well, I know it's an animal, you know, genus. <laughs> You're over here, what fantastical thing is this thing? And I was I like, fl- it's I a played, red
0: elk. I've played too much d and <laughs> I see a thing with horns, and I'm like, is that a unicorn?
1: Is that... A unicorn? <laughs> is that-
0: what 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 fantasy bullshit is this? Let, let me go grab my lore books. Uh, but, but but yeah, I thought that was awesome, and also it had a never ending story feel to yeah. it, where it's like you know, no Atreyu, no <laughs> fucking uh, the swamp of sadness. But with this, it's like it the elk has the has a character, and it like is unabashedly loves um, Ashitaka, and it, Ashitaka unabashedly loves. His his elk?
1: Especially since, you know, he's cursed and basically he's exiled from his village. And we see that he leaves behind a sister. And, you know, he takes his elk with him and it's kind of like, this is his only family. And it's cool to see that the elk feels the same way about him. I mean, let alone when uh, Moenoka is trying to save Ashitaka. And she releases um, Yakul from the restraints that he has on him. And she's like, you know, you can go and you could be free now. And we see the next morning where she's like, you know, he didn't leave you. He stayed here the whole night. He watched you. And it's just, it's that whole kind of pet and human bond where it's just. Together forever. Together forever, but more, you know, that's not so much a pet. It's more your family. And
0: I think that's an interesting thing about that. Again, the movie has a lot of like relationships that I think are interesting and how it builds it but the relationship between Yakul and Ashitaka that feels something that's just so like like normal and human mm-hmm. and i love the fact that uh Yakul never talks no because all the other animals talk mm-hmm. and they try to talk to him and he just in the animal doesn't yeah and because it's like oh no because that's it this isn't a fantasy thing Mm-mm. like the the relationship between you know like who, cool, like Yakul yeah, cool and Ashitaka? That's not a fantastical thing. That's like a a bond people garner with you know their mm-hmm. pets, their animals, their friends. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's like an unspoken thing. And I was like, oh, that's like really smart filmmaking. I understand this relationship mm-hmm. all visually. It, really good work. Um,
1: but yeah. But I think before we finish the episode, we have to talk about Gilman.
0: Yes, because you can he can... talk about the the Gilman cameo.
1: Cause I mean, fuck yeah, Gilman. He's so cool. He's the forest god, and I guess he like during the day is like this, like larger than life elk.
0: Yeah, he's like this weird elk, bird, owl,
1: goat, man. goat
0: hybrid thing. He is he is all the creatures of the forest mm-hmm. as one entity. Yeah, but at night
1: turns into the gill man and he's like hundreds of feet tall
0: he it doesn't even look like the gill man he looks like a like ethereal being of starlight he could be the gill cousin he could be a gill cousin i'll I'll give you that but yeah it's, it's it's this really cool effect and i think it's like i think they do it in cgi in the production of the film to make it looks more alien and more different and more unique but I really do like that design in this movie, because that's like... what I would think of if I was like, "Oh, imagine a god." I'm like, "That's that's a fucking god."
1: Well, this movie is the last major animated motion picture to be filmed on plastic animation cells, so I don't think there's CGI in this. Are
0: you sure? Sh- I think there is a little bit in it, but I it's not like a thing where they used CGI throughout the entire film. It's not yeah. like a, a Pixar movie, but I thought they used it to like. Implement certain characters or like meld some shots together.
1: I don't know because I know uh Miyazaki's all about, you know, hand drawing things, which he did for this movie. He did, corrected, and redrew 80,000 film animation cells for this movie mm, okay. out of 144,000.
0: So, oh, I, I got it here. So is it? only ten percent of the film is has any computer animation done to it. Interesting. But the rest of it is all traditional cell animation. So I'd be I'd be kind of interested to watch the movie again and see if you can pick out where the computer comes in. Yeah. And see if it because that was a big problem for early computer stuff mm-hmm. in animation where it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, in a lot this of one
1: it's like I wouldn't have thought because I know that's his. That's his deal, where he likes it to be very traditional.
0: Mm. So it's also why this movie costs so much goddamn money.
1: Yeah, so it's like you know I don't look for it because I I don't expect it. And you know if that is part of that scene, it's very flawless. Where it's just you feel like this creature's alive and just kind of walking through the forest.
0: Man, this is a really good movie.
1: It was. I'm I'm happy. I finally got to watch it. It's only taken me like a two year, years? two years, a year and a half to watch it.
0: Uh, but uh your final thoughts final wrap up
1: two thumbs up uh, I'm definitely gonna have to watch it again and see what else I can pick up from this that I missed on the first watching but yeah highly recommend uh what about you
0: oh uh big two two big thumbs up probably my favorite Miyazaki film I think the movie does have elements of it that might be a little weird, but I think it just adds to the charm of the movie mm-hmm. uh does the story get a little awkward in places yeah but again it just adds to the charm of the movie i really like the movie i think it's actually
1: really good dean's smiling so hard right now like, it was it was so nice he's like i'm gonna watch lord of the rings right after this yeah damn right but that's like i really like
0: this and it's like yeah no this is just a nice movie it's just,
1: <laughs> this is fun
0: uh but um yeah so that was princess mononoke like four thumbs up yes but next i love you cool we know you love you, cool But next week, it is my turn to implement a new film in November.
1: I was going to say, don't ask me. I don't know what this is.
0: Yes, well, I I have the the box with me.
1: He actually has the box.
0: Yes, because I bought this film, I would say, five years ago. Is that why
1: it looks so dusty?
0: uh, Yes. I bought this film five years ago because I was trying to complete a filmmaker's uh, filmography. I was going to watch through all their movies. And I watched through most of them. But this disc, for some reason, I never got around to watching it. It just sat on my shelf, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to watch it. Because if I watch it, then I complete the filmography. I always want to be able to go back and, and be like, ah, oh, there's one I didn't see. But I think it's time. And that is going to be Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. This movie came out in 1956. as one of his very, very first movies. I think this might be his second or third movie. Um, and I'm very excited about this one. This predates Path of Path of Glory, which is considered the first Kubrick masterpiece. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I'm I'm very excited. Crime movie, old school noir, Kubrick classic. I'm I'm in.
1: I'm excited too, because I've never even heard of this movie, so I don't know what to expect.
0: I'm I'm excited for it. But, but if they wanted
1: to It has noir, so you got me hooked.
0: Oh, also, there's a Criterion version of this, and I'm holding an old, like, MGM bargain bin version.
1: We'll take it. But if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
0: Yep. You can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube. You can go to our YouTube channel, check out our videos of this podcast. We upload at least one video every week. And we are going to try and release some more content on there eventually. Uh, But if you wanted to check us out on social media to see when that happens, you can go to...
1: Our Instagram, at The Film Club Podcast, where we post upcoming episodes, trivia, our adventures, and a ton of other things.
0: And with that...
1: We'll see you next week at The Film Club.
0: Have a good week, everybody.